Welcome to The Distiller. Uh, I'm Brandon Dawson, and we're recording live today from the brew house at 1047 East McMillan, corner of uh, McMillan and Park Avenue in Cincinnati's Walnut Hills neighborhood. If you've never been to this place, this is one of Cincinnati's great places Mm -hmm. in my mind. Perfect neighborhood place, quintessential kind of neighborhood watering hole. Uh, Owner Laura Davis took this long-standing, if people lived here in Cincinnati for a long time, they know the brew house, but what Laura's done with it over the last few years has been amazing. Uh, there's Walnut Hills Redevelopment Foundation meetings here, trivia nights, live music. The food is really good, has, mm-hmm. has gotten great over the last month mm-hmm. or so. So um, we're happy to be here. Thanks to Laura. Um, my guests today are Rich Hordinsky and David Wilcox. Um, Rich is a founding member of the band Over the Rhine, the creative force behind the band Monk, um, a touring and studio musician and engineer, uh, currently the owner of The Monastery, a beautiful recording studio and performance space here in Cincinnati and a member of the teaching faculty at the University of Cincinnati College of Conservatory of Music. Uh, David Wilcox is an award-winning folk songwriter, singer and songwriter, known for his intricate, insightful lyricism and virtuoso musicianship, Uh, a journeyman songwriter. He's got 18 albums to his name, the most recent of which is Blaze, available on Amazon or directly from davidwilcox.com. First of all, thanks, guys, for coming. Thanks. Really, really appreciate it. to set the stage a little bit, I'm a, here's what I see you guys having in common. Um, you both have what I sort of see as a workmanlike sort of journeyman approach to your craft and to your career, a willingness over time to flex and adapt, not necessarily dependent on the traditional music industry structure, whatever that even means anymore, and a strong sort of vein of commitment to quality in the kind of Robert Piercig Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance sense mm. through everything that you do. Um, I'm interested, you know, it's kind of a last minute thing to be able to talk to both of you together, which works out really well because you have had, how long have you been working together? How long have you guys known each other? I would guess uh, 93. Yeah, over 20 years probably. Okay. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, probably 94, 95, something like that. Okay. And working together, mostly recording, performing live, mm-hmm. writing mm-hmm. together. Is it a creative relationship yeah, in that way? We've done all that. Yeah. We've okay. toured. I don't, you've toured together? Yeah. A few times, yeah. yeah. Okay. And it seems Absolutely. to be something that it's gone on that long. It seems to be something that works for both of you very well. What do you think at the heart of it? Like, how do you, why do you guys get along so well? I think the last time I uh, was headed towards rich's house and i called him up he answered the phone he said hey brother and that really sort of said it for me that was so kind of you to say that because <laughs> i i have felt like i'm inspired by you i trust you i know you uh i feel like you got my back in 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 so many ways and uh i just feel uh like when i see the things that you do, it's a, it just seems to me like a strong manifestation of who you are, and it just feels good oh, to see you so do sweet. what you do. <laughs> Thanks. Well, I, I, I think, um, you know, I remember, I remember the first time we met was at um, Canal Street. You remember that? And in Dave, Dayton? Yeah, and Dayton. Dave was playing a show. I think, did I open the show? I think I did. I think so. I think I yeah. did. And, um, I had some kind of promotional material, and I had a picture of my Volkswagen, the interior. my Beetle, the interior, right? The interior of my Volkswagen. And Dave looked at it for a second and said, "Oh, '67," <laughs> like one second. Click. And I didn't even, I didn't even. He was like, I was like, "How can you tell?" Well, the, you know, this, this, and I still don't even know. But he was like on it, and we were like, "Well, we should talk. We should talk. <laughs> we should spend a little time together." Yeah. And I think I, I wasn't too long after that we sort of started recording a little bit in my basement yeah i made a few trips to Asheville, and but um but it's interesting how how um i mean dave's the kind of guy that you um like coming coming in contact with dave and working with dave like it it definitely bent the trajectory of my life wow. you know Mm-hmm. In a in a be- and I think a, a beautiful way. Like I, I, Karen and I talked about this. My wife Karen and I talked about this a couple times. Like your whole approach to like life and food and just thinking about the way you interact and stuff. Like it just it 
it has that, and I think your shows do this too, that they, they um, without, without being uh, pretentious in a like woo-woo kind of way or whatever, um, just kind of your gift is to get people to think about things differently, you know, and um, I, I reflect on that at times. Yeah. And it's been, you know, I'm I grateful rem- for it. I remember when you told me that over the phone, probably eight years ago or more, uh, that you were grateful for the way that um, for working together for the adventures that we have had uh, and somehow I think you were brave enough to say that it had an influence on your life that was good and um, I, I'm, I'm moved by that it's, uh, it's fascinating to me because I, I have, I still carry a lot of old assumptions about the way I was, um, uh, not very socially aware at all. Um, music to me was a way to know my heart, and at first it was the only way. And you know, like somebody would ask me a question, and I'd say, "Well, I, ha- I have a song about that. Can I play you a song?" And, They'd say, can you talk? <laughs> I'd say, no, I'm sorry, I can't. <laughs> that might be another reason why we get along. We're sort of socially awkward twins or something. Mm-hmm. Well, but there's, uh, uh, the and other- there's the lake effect. The lake effect. So we didn't know this at the time, but we grew up like, I don't know, a couple miles apart. Yeah. I mean, oh, literally, yeah. yeah. In Cleveland. Northeast Ohio, yeah. Okay. Yeah, in the sub- eastern suburbs. Yeah. Dave grew up in Menor, which is like where my like I still have an uncle. My grandparents live there. Oh, that's funny. Like, like right where where Dave's from. Yeah. Well, and there seems to be something else, which <clears throat> I don't know that I was thinking about it in these terms. But your answer to the first question—I mean, the willingness to go right to the heart of it—which comes out in your music, especially in the industry that you guys are in. There's this fear of earnestness, of being <clears throat> not ironic enough, of being a little too sincere, hmm. and that strikes me as something that neither of you guys are really concerned about that you're willing to to just put it out there and talk about real stuff instead of having to uh, appear to be whatever that's what brings me the best memories when the conversation gets real that's what draws a friendship mm-hmm. together and so I I try to do that in every part of my life but it's true that uh, music was the place where I f- first knew it, what it felt like to do that. Because I could, there's a sort of a time-lapse bravery of writing a song mm-hmm. that you can <laughs> deliver in three minutes and it seems, oh my God, you're so brave. Well, it's three days worth of bravery condensed into one. <laughs> right. And it's yeah. also, and people one don't. One strong shot. And people don't realize that it's also aspirational too. Like, right. you're, you, you, you can live into the song on yeah. some level. You can try to live up to the song. Yeah, and not I mean not even your own songs, but other people's songs as well. But I think it's interesting because I I think I came at this whole writing thing coming from that sort of um, uh, I'll use the word messed up um, religious background, mm-hmm. and so I had there was a there was an assumption that you would only write about things that were really 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 important, as in having eternal significance or whatever. Right. But the disconnect was always that you talked about it in this weird, impersonal, uh, sort of negative way. But I think it, I think for me, it took, it took a little bit of detox from that. But I kept, I think I kind of tried to hold on to the, like, let's just talk about important stuff mm-hmm. um, on some level. So I think even in the studio, when someone brings in a song and it's just dopey, there's a little part of me that, like, I just don't, I don't even know how to deal with it sometimes, you know. <laughs> Kind of a, what is this about? Yeah, like really, we're gonna spend time talking about that, but I don't know. Yeah, what, we we say that this podcast is you know the tagline for the podcast is the podcast about the soul of work or the search for meaningful work or the search for meaning in the work that you do. To what degree is what you guys do? Because you're you've both been doing what you do for a good bit of time now. How do you think about it in terms of work? Do you think at that? Do you think about it that way? Do you separate parts of what you do into this is 
this is chopping wood and carrying water and this part of it is inspiration and this part is fun. How do you, how does that word apply to what you do? It's changed over time for me. Um, when I get up at five to go catch a plane, uh, I feel this weird kind of like thrill, like, oh my goodness, I'm a grown up. <laughs> uh, I have this feeling like there's something honorable in like having a mission. And I, I take off into the world with this sense of everything is instilled with the joy that I get from music. And I mean every little thing, like the way I set up my guitar and the, the, uh, every, um, the way I uh, craft the sound and the songs and even the way I, uh, I know that a creative person has to stay inspired because output equals input. So I, my job is to live a life that's inspiring. So um, everything gets instilled with a kind of a purpose. And that has not always been the case. There were times when I looked at work as, um, geez, I'm, I'm getting loaned all this money by this record company. They're trusting me to sell some records. Maybe I should, maybe I should listen to them. They know what they're doing. And uh, maybe I should put these cover tunes on my record. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I, I was aware of like playing that game. That made me crazy. So I sort of changed the rules. And it's weird. I set up my own little goal in the middle of the field, sort of at a diagonal. <laughs> and uh, the audience is wondering, well, why is he running that way? But the, the game that I play is um, I have a practice let's call it a backdoor spiritual practice. I show up at this quiet room to an empty page and I say, what do I need to be thinking about? And I'm asking. My perception is I'm asking the guitar for a song. But another way to say it is I'm asking my heart, what do I need to know before it's too late? What do you know that I don't? And in the quiet, I... I wait and I get a little kind of musical idea or a phrase or something and I follow it I trust it I trust that where it the reason why it moves me is because it's coming from a place that I want to go somehow and it's my guidance it's my teacher and so that is how I define the work it's uh, it the writing shows me place I haven't got to yet like an emotional snapshot and beckons me there and then the performing holds me accountable to this audacious promise of a life that feels full and real and like home and so the combination of those two things it just feels like I can show up for work feeling tired and in a bad state I play a few songs and little by little I start to remember who I am and to me that is really great work <laughs> <laughs> that's fun because it's uh, it's a way when I've been thinking about the podcast in these conversations I've been I've been thinking about work in the sense of <clears throat> swinging the hammer whatever that means there's also the sense culturally of the work in terms of doing the internal work have you have you mm. done the internal work to to show up informed for what you need to accomplish. And the way that you connected those, those two ideas is interesting for me because, you know, we're talking to a bunch of different people for this show and not all of the work that people do would be considered by them or by somebody else to be creative work. <clears throat> but it still requires, in some sense, that in order to be intentional about it, mm -hmm. in order to bring yourself fully to it, that you're at some level, no matter how conscious doing the work internally to bring yourself hmm. to it. I love that you kind of connect in those dots. Yeah. What do you think about that for you and, and how you work? That's interesting. I, I, I think I, uh, what I notice over the years is it's not a new idea and it's kind of trendy right now to talk about just showing up, you know, you mm -hmm. got to show up, you got to do the work. But I do notice that if I show up and do the work that the inspiration will come and it's not and, and it's you know it's tricky in my you know my sort of adopted life practice 
whatever you want to call it, um, uh, hesitate to use the word Zen or whatever, but the idea that you 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 make it a practice, mm-hmm. and and if you only I don't know how to say it, but if you only do it short term, you can't you can't see the peaks and the troughs, and you can't work through it. And so um, I'm probably not saying this clearly, but the, I'm, now that I've done it for a while, I kind of have the big picture, and it's a little easier to be like, yeah, this is a slow time, but I just keep working, and then mm-hmm. eventually, you know, and it's never the it's never really the thing with me anyway, most of the time, it's never the thing that I think it's going to be when I'm writing. Like, I'll start with this idea, and it's almost never that idea that I wind up with in the end. And hopefully it's, hopefully it's good. But I think, you know, the, it's not a new idea, and I, I love the, there's a great interview with Philip Glass where he's standing by the sink, and this guy's interviewing him. And the guy says, so, you know, you've had this long career, and, you know, what's your secret? And he sort of stops and looks at him and says, my secret? You want to know my secret? get up early and work hard all day. That's my secret, you know? And I think the older I get, the more, the more I learn that the inspiration, you do develop, I, hopefully, a sensitivity to whatever it is that inspires you. I mean, I think I got from Dave the, this ability to, to listen to your intuition, you know, because um, there was a time when I probably thought that it came from some supernatural place. Mm-hmm. And I think that when that faded for me, I sort of lost my interest in intuition. And interesting, only like maybe four or five years ago, I started to get this idea that, um, and again from this like meditation place, that like when you get that feeling like something's going on, you know, like sub- probably subconsciously, and, and really, like five or six years ago, I started to be able to understand, this is really geeky, but like understanding complex chords and being able to hear them, not because I could spell out one, three, five, flat, seven, nine, but because I knew that it made me feel a certain way. <laughs> and I had been feeling it all along, but I hadn't been able to put words on it. And so like, to me, like now, when I hear a four chord, it's just, it's like, oh, that's that level of tension. And so that's the four chord. And if it's a different level of tension, if it's ever so slightly more, then it's the minor four chord. I mean, and I can hear it in a physical level too. Like I do have that musical thing, but it really became being aware of how that made me feel and how a minor seven flat five chord makes me feel and where it wants to go. And it's on an intuitive level. Mm -hmm. And it's also, you know, it's more complicated than that, but that's where it came from was I started feeling like, oh, that makes me feel that way. And that's the G, you know? Oh, that's so fun. Yeah, isn't it interesting? And that's the gift of time. Yeah, time true. Really getting... But I wish I had recognized that feeling that I could understand it by the feeling it gave me mm-hmm. 20 years ago. Yeah. You know? I was just talking to somebody the other day. The thing is, I think we have, <clears throat> I think we have some language or openness to these ideas in creative pursuits, whether we, whether we get there or not. Nobody's going to be surprised to hear you say that necessarily. But in other stuff that we do that we value in different ways, culturally, like business and mm-hmm. like less creative pursuits, we don't claim to value those things. There's a, <clears throat> a business writer, a guy named Peter Senge, that I've read a few of his books. And there's one in particular called Presence. That is his investigation with three other people of this phenomenon that they witnessed in businesses, business processes, where they just couldn't get through something or find a solution um, and then something would happen and, a, and the, the idea would break open and the solution would kind of present itself and nobody could really take credit for it and nobody knew where it came from. And in their conversations, what they recognize is that um, the times that they saw it repeated, trying to encapsulate a bunch of stuff here, what seemed to be the secret to the recipe for allowing that to happen was a critical mass of people in a meeting having essentially a level of spiritual awareness that they could allow something to happen that they didn't have to be responsible for. Hmm. And talking in some way about exactly what you're talking about, about being willing to let something happen on an intuitive level. Um, But I'm just interested in the fact that like, as we approach work as an idea in so-called creative pursuits, I kind of, I tend to think that everything is creative Hmm. in some level. If you, if you bring yourself to it properly, Sure. Um, we're open to that idea, but not in other things. And I think that's why we get to the place, I guess I'm on a soapbox now, that's why we get to a place with business and culture where there's so little soul in it. 
Mm. And we look exclusively to the arts for the things that would fulfill us instead of looking for our work to fulfill that piece of us in a greater way. Mm. Um, but this is my axe to grind and why, <laughs> why I wanted to do this podcast. How, how has that um, changed for both of you over the years? I think you both hit at some level that it has changed for you. But like, how did you approach that differently, specifically either of you when you were younger and on a, on a real practical level about how you bring yourself to it every day. How is that different now? Well, I think, um, it's probably more complicated than you could put into a short sentence, but I, you know, when I was 14 and first wanting to play guitar, I'm sure it was, it was, uh, wanting to be engaged with music. It was more about my, um, social awkwardness or wanting to meet girls or wanting to be cool or, or idolizing certain musicians. Um, and then that, you know, that sort of takes you to a certain point, you know, it's like if you've been married for a while, you, you recognize the usefulness of different phases of your marriage mm-hmm. and that, you know, there's certainly this initial incredible drive, which is, you know, primarily chemical. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that in my, I, I mean, I sort of see my music life as that. Like in the beginning, it was very uh, driven by my own deficiencies and uh, need for love and all that. You know, I, I was, I joke with my class that, you know, I didn't spend most of my life flying around the world so that strangers could tell me how awesome I am because I'm healthy. <laughs> right? <That's>, yeah. <laughs> um, but at some point, hopefully, if you stay with it, you know, you fall in love with the music on some level and, and the desire to kind of get, I mean, for me anyway, the desire to like see how much of this thing I can understand and, and hopefully contribute to in some tiny, tiny way to move that needle ever so slightly. Um, and to do that, that's where the, that's where the you know, bloody-mindedness of of work has to come in. You just do it and do it and do it. Is that answering your question at all? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think the the marriage uh, metaphor about there being different seasons and different levels of maturity absolutely Mm -hmm. speaks to that. It's not always, I mean, the, the sort of parallel question is how much of that process is intentional. Um, Like, is it something you guided and you saw happening or is it something that you only see in the rearview mirror? Um, and I think it's different for different people. Um, yeah, it looks different in the rearview mirror, even though it's intentional as you do it. I think it's different. It looks different in hindsight. Yeah. But I, what, what do you think, David? And I, I had to smile when I was talking to a singer-songwriter, and she was saying that the real reason why people choose to be singer-songwriters is because it is so difficult to fling your soul out to a bunch of strangers and feel some people get it and some most people reject it and the reason why that's a valid choice for a life is because what you get to practice is not trying to sell people on what you do what you get to practice is digging a deeper well to know who you are that would not be required if you had a job that was something predictable, something sort of, you know, like if you sell gasoline, if your gasoline's good, people buy it and there's no questions asked about is it better than any other kind of gasoline. Uh, They don't even see it. So the fascinating part about putting yourself in a vulnerable position to be criticized for your very personality, for your very essence, is uh, a wise choice if you take it as intentional instead of it being an obstacle, instead of, boy, if I could only get everyone to like me. That's not the point. The point is, how can I... Wait, that's not the point. (laughs) (laughs) I've been doing it wrong. Can we we rewind? (laughs) So, So this woman was saying that the real beauty of the choice is that this side effect of strengthening your sense of worth apart from what other people think of you is it gets exercised most of all it's sort of like if you went into the weight room and you said well i'm here to move weights where do you want them 
And they say, no, no, they just go up and down. You don't really move them anywhere. <laughs> really? Well, why, why are we doing this? Well, you don't change the weights. The weights change you. So I love that about the difficulty mm. of music, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, so that, to me, is the real payoff. That's the part you keep. The, part, the fact that it is humbling. It's a very humbling craft. And it grows you in a way that is hard to get in areas that you can keep a sort of mechanical expertise. So the other side of that is what you do, what you both do to some degree requires an audience. I mean, you could still be doing the same thing, uh, but maybe you would be able to do it and maybe you wouldn't Mm. if there weren't people coming to the shows, if there weren't people buying the records. Um, Certainly in the time that I've been around the music industry, you know, the, those words have taken on a completely different meaning. Music industry? Well, so, yeah, whatever it is anymore. Is there still a music Can industry? Can I tell a 10-second joke? Yeah, go for it. The new theme song of the music industry goes like this. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. There's no business. <laughs> yeah. No, but, that, I mean, that's the thing is... There are several questions in here that I want to know. One is your personal relationship to whatever that was and whatever it isn't anymore. I think the question I'm most interested in is how has constantly rubbing up against that monster or choosing not to rub up against that monster and do your own thing but still find a way to continue to be able to do it affected or changed what you do and who you are and how you approach it? Oh, what a good question. I could go. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, There is a fascinating um, part of me that does want to play by the rules and sort of win the game. Just tell me what Mm. to do and I'll do it. Um, And uh, what's confounding to me is that um, what I really want out of music is for it to continue to surprise me and to continue to inspire me to um, to go for the juicy life, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the, the contradiction in uh, looking outside for what I want to do, like what does the industry want, versus looking inside for what I want to do, like what's going to nurture my soul, um, I, I think I have never trusted that sort of the the path of trying to please the industry um i just saw that you know like if you look at the ad revenue that radio stations used to make i was talking to a radio programmer years ago about like how he understood what gets played on the radio he said look at the follow the money if you look at ad revenue for radio stations it's mostly from beer So if your songs sell beer, you're on the radio. And he looked at me with a big smile and he said, David, your songs don't sell beer, do they? You don't like beer, do you? Interesting. I got the formula wrong. The beer beer formula. Yeah. It's, you know, I mean, it's moving so quickly. I don't know that I have... I have an ongoing debate with a friend of mine in England, Steve Lawson, who's a, a brilliant um, bass player and sort of like, I think he's kind of the new model, the new, the new whatever it is, entrepreneur, you know, and he has, he does shows and he does lessons online and he makes lots of recordings, which is kind of, I think, one of the new models. He probably puts out a record every, um, you know, 10 months or something maybe. Mm-hmm. And, um, and when I say puts out a record... I don't think he actually makes records anymore. I think he just puts it, puts it out on Bandcamp or whatever. Mm-hmm. And by being really vigilant, I think he, he supports himself and his family. And he's a lovely, wonderful person. Um, and I don't, I just, it's hard to see right now. I think the hills are big. And when you're at the top of them, you see a certain thing. And when you're at the bottom of them, you see something else. Um, I, they're, they're definitely... I won't lie to you, as the young people say. Uh, 
the um the there's there are parts of the new thing that are somewhat soul crushing you know the um the fact that you in the new models you have to constantly tell people how good you are you know, and you used to be able to you used to be able to hire that out. <laughs> yeah, the label's not going to pay for that anymore. <laughs> which felt which felt more civilized on some level. Um, and I, you know, I always joke with people and say, when my in my next life, I will have a career where I don't have to constantly tell you how great I am um, because it's it's horrible. Um, and that's you know, to me, it's one of the trade offs of of the the new model or whatever. Um, but having you know for someone like me um it's a a diversification is good you know i might be working on a i might be scoring a documentary for pbs or i might be producing a record for someone in the studio or writing something for somebody uh, scoring a string part for a client in seattle or something like yeah but i i don't have um i think part of doing this for a while is i'm not i think i've found a sort of balance between you know, being being fairly serious about the work, um, not trying to take my trying not to take myself too seriously, but not being too romantic about it. Like I don't, um, you know, when I was younger, I certainly felt like there was a hierarchy, and those of us who were in the arts were somehow doing something lofty, you know. Mm-hmm. And I I uh, I don't feel like that anymore. You know, I, I mean, I I feel like it is lofty, but it's not any loftier than the the guy who's fixing my pipes you know or my car or whatever like it's and so i I try to think of it that way like i try to be workmanlike about it Mm -hmm. you know i don't know well and i know i actually it was one of the things sort of prepping i was i was listing what i could see about the ways that you guys everybody that i know it's not it's not just music it's all creative fields that's making it work is doing a thousand things Mm. um is you know, has uh, some kind of side hustle, if you want to call it mm-hmm. that, or a thousand. They're all side hustles, and there is no mm-hmm. central thing for you. Yeah. I know you're you're doing the studio production stuff. You're doing your own work and playing shows. Um, you've toured with other people. You're teaching at CCM. Mm-hmm. What am I leaving out? You, you're scoring. Um, yeah. It. I, I mean, I. I've, I'm so. I. I don't want to sound whiny about that. Like. I'm super grateful to have that kind of work. And, and honestly, I'm a better writer. I'm a better uh, teacher. Uh, the teaching makes me a better producer. Mm-hmm. You know, like it all, it all works together. Right. I'm grateful for the influence of all that. And in this, in, this, um, in this world that I live in, like I'm grateful to make a living doing it. And, and uh, I rarely do stuff that I'm, not excited about right on that's and, that's a total gift yeah it's a good thing to say i i know for for you i was thinking about um uh sort of the sam phillips record club model that she did a couple of years ago and different things even looking on your website there's there's different things that you're doing like the wilcox weekends and the custom songs and i don't know if all of those are what an industry person would consider profit generators or if they're just different ways for you to communicate in a more direct format what you're trying to say. But how do you think about that whole question? Uh, I also find things that feel fun and feel like they have a lesson for me. And I love the way they complement each other as well. uh, And lately I'm doing speaking stuff and these... uh, like walking tours in Ireland where there's music and storytelling. Mm-hmm. And then the, the custom songs are a fascinating thing. Uh, using the skills I've been craft over the years to, to know my own heart, I use those same skills to tell someone else's story. And that can be cathartic and powerful and reframe a, a difficult time for them. Um, and that uh, just sort of came when one person requested it uh, and then I just put a notice up on my website saying hey this happened and then other people have requested it and now I've done it more than 30 times Hmm. where I've crafted a song for somebody that is very specific to them and what they've been through and and how they can find their way out of it Um, 
and it, it's it's been a real honor to, for the sake of the music, get real honest with them. It's really, really fun. But it sounds to me like for you, that's not so much sitting in the in the office jotting down different ways to hustle it. It's something that like has emerged yeah, organically for grew, you. That as long yeah. as you're following what's happening, yeah. these different things emerge. Yeah. How do you guys think about? Um, the concept, and I don't mean this in terms of musicianship or technical facility, about the concept of mastery and how it relates to what you do. Is it something, is it, is it a factor at all? Is it a word that you pursue? Yeah, definitely. I oh, think yeah. the microcosm of music has lessons for me, and my goal was to learn how to harmonize my life, but I didn't know how to do that. So I start with learning the subtle decisions that go into making one song work and I learned those lessons but I think the reason why music showed up in my life in the first place was it was like my two little dowsing sticks it was just something that I could see that was in my hands that could tell me about something that I couldn't see hmm. and I, I have always felt like the best way that I will know that I've been successful at music is if I can be as present and as open in the rest of my life so that I don't feel like I need my little wooden interpreter in my lap anymore. I don't need the guitar to speak for me. I can feel just as good about what I say as what I sing. Mm. That's what I want. And music has given me that little by little over the years. Mm. But it's, it sounds to me like it's less about, again, chords technical facility than it is about music giving you a language for mastery of other elements of your life giving you entree but you have into to get it right in the microcosm first you right. have to have to learn the lessons without in the, the work in the specific right. yeah mm -hmm. that's good interesting yeah i don't i don't know long i mean i feel like you know i i came to music i not music but uh the guitar anyway like pretty late in life like I was probably 14 or 15 before I touched the guitar mm -hmm. but it was a huge I remember at um I was playing drums in like the school band in junior high and they had an electric guitar in the cabinet behind like with two strings on it or whatever and I was so obsessed with it I dreamed about it every night for wow. several nights um, and I, you know, I was the kid who like, I took an acoustic guitar and I took apart a telephone and put the telephone microphone in the sound hole because I wanted an electric guitar. Like I was oh, obsessed. Great. And so when I was, you know, 15, 16, like I would play four or five, six hours a day mm -hmm. to the point that I almost didn't get out of high school. And, you know, I had to go see a counselor. <laughs> like I was pretty, <laughs> so it was all, it was all bound up together. So I, but, but starting late, like I still feel like I have on a, on a, on a just a musical technical level I have so much still to learn mm -hmm. like that's I mean that's kind of the nice thing about having choosing this versus motorcycle maintenance which would be fascinating too but like you just you really can't get to the bottom of it and, yeah. it, and it's not even that you can't get to the bottom of it you can't get to the top of it you know I mean, we were sitting no in the end. studio yeah. today I learned this new little thing you know and it's like amazing and it's not, not nothing that people haven't been doing for a hundred years but yeah. you know you can only get so much yeah. and it's all it's all there and I still like I still get a charge out of learning that little gospel turnaround today like cool yeah it's exciting <laughs> that's fun and it's fun you know it's just fun for me like you've been doing this for however many years and one little turnaround oh yeah feels like you unlocked some you yeah, know some other level which one is great one of a thousand yeah so hopefully I can learn five of them <laughs> so Thinking again a little bit um, just about the concept of work and how you, how you bring yourselves to this every day, I'm interested in hearing from both of you just what your day is. When mm. you, and I know there are a thousand different versions of your day. One is the five o'clock flight to a different city. One is the writing day. But walk me through the average day um, and how you bring yourself to it and what it looks like for you. Well, I think one of the blessings that I've had has been that it's very the diversity of what I do is has been has made me not really get too tired of it but like I depending on what's going on if I'm you know if I'm on the road then it's you know 
getting up and remembering what city you're in and figuring out breakfast and what you're going to do and what time the doors are and all that. Um, and that's one thing. And that, for me, at this point in my life, that happens in chunks. So I think for David, it's a little different. But uh, like I'll, when I was out with like Daniel Martin Moore or whatever a couple mm-hmm. of years back, like that was a six-week chunk mm-hmm. and a break and a six-week chunk. Um, so that, that has its own kind of beauty. And, um, you know, looking back on it, I, I realized how incredibly damaging it can be if you have the wrong personality. Like when I was, when I was touring with, um, uh, early on, like it's just such an incredibly selfish lifestyle if you let it be, you know, I'll eat when I want to eat, I'll sleep when I want to sleep, I'll do this. And, uh, and I think for me, it was so, it was not positive. Right. On, a, on a personality level. And it can be rough for the people at home if you've got people back home who are expecting you to be involved in their lives being gone yeah. 100, 200 oh, days yeah. a year. I know. I mean, we've, it's, it's funny now that I've been home for a few years, we, Karen and I will talk about stuff and she'll be like, oh yeah, you just, you know, you just weren't here for the first 10 years, yeah. you know, which is, uh, you know, complicated. Um, but, you know, when I'm here, I could be in the studio starting at seven and tracking until four or five in the afternoon or working at night, mm-hmm. or I could be at the university for four or five hours lecturing. Yep. So it's, it's, it's a lot of diversity. And you're doing lessons. The other day I stopped by the studio. I do. I teach a hand. I started teaching lessons about teaching a year a ago. Yeah, yeah. Which is really fun. Really fun. I forgot how much I like it. It's a fine line between having students that are awesome and having too many students for yeah. me and my personality level anyway. But um, right. I love teaching. You know, it's weird because we have this thing that we spend our lives learning about. And just the, the arc of the music industry has meant that, like, I know so many things that are completely irrelevant. <laughs> so many beautiful, subtle things I've learned about how to record and how to arrange a song and how to think about where strings come in and how to think about the groove and the secondary groove and how the bass and the kick drum interact. I know all this stuff and, you know. But irrelevant how? Well, irrelevant in not, the sense that you don't get to use it every day or that it is, it is actually obsolete to what you do now? It's not, no, it's not obsolete. And I think it's very, it's very spiritual, mm-hmm. you know, like the way the kick drum and the bass interact. Oh my God, that's more important than all the preachers that ever lived, <laughs> you know? Um, but it's a very esoteric. There's a very small amount of usage for that in, yeah. the, in the world as it is now. Um, so I, teaching gives me a little bit of, a little bit of window to like here have this and if you if you find it valuable keep that fire lit and pass it on to somebody else passing on the because it's uh, yeah oh yeah i know uh so that's teaching really uh you know on a on a like makes me happy level the idea that the way i understand the way your fingers touch the strings matters if i can pass it on to a couple people yeah that makes me happy that's fun. I mean, as a guitar player myself, not anywhere near the level that you guys are, when I get, when you have those little breakthroughs, when you realize that the little tiny thing makes so much difference, and when you realize, like, you've played a lot with Phil Kagey, um, that I can't understand what, like, I literally cannot conceptualize the way that he thinks about the instrument. I just oh, can't, I, know. I just can't bridge the gap. I, know. I think on my tombstone, it should say, Rich Hordinsky, musical director for Phil Keggy. <laughs> the irony and awesomeness of that would be. You know. But the best things for me as a player over the years have been the little tiny meaningless moments that, that don't make any observable difference in my playing to anyone else. Mm. That I'm like, oh, it's that little thing. Mm. He's paying attention to that. That thing that I didn't even recognize was a thing. He's paying attention to it every second. Mm. That's and the mastery, right? That little bit of capacity that you develop in your way to conceptualize something. Yeah, mastery. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the big, for me, those are the breakthroughs that I feel like I didn't even recognize that was what I was shooting for until I was in my 30s. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. What, what about you going back to, like, what are your, maybe not the road day. A day? Yeah, um, like, what are your, again, the chop wood carry water days look like for um, you? <clears throat> my favorite moment is I'm in the middle of a performance and I'm 
three quarters of the way through a song and I'm thinking about the arc of the story that's happened so far tonight. I'm, mm. I'm remembering uh, things that people have really connected with and the feeling that I'm getting in my heart. And I'm scanning all different possibilities of what song to play next. And I don't need to think about my left hand or my right hand or my voice or the lyric. That all is deep in my being. So that's happening. And what I'm thinking about is where to go from here. And then I get this little hunch, like I can change the last few words of the song to anticipate where we're going to get to the next song, to start to frame the story. Um, there are spontaneous things that happen where somebody will call out and I'll go with it, I'll, I'll trust their idea, and the night becomes really unique. I, I, at the end of the night, I pack up my gear and I'm driving and I'm very much uh, like concentrating on be safe, be, you know, don't, don't drive too long, get sleep, don't, uh, and, and I, I love the, the discipline of all those thousands of little decisions. Mm -hmm. I love getting home, I love the fixing stuff, I just love to <laughs> fix stuff around the house. I love cooking for friends and neighbors. There's stuff that happens at our house about five nights a week. All these different groups that come and they meet at our house. And it's inspiring to, uh, to, to have that kind of um, challenge to be learning new ways of thinking. Um, and so a, a really satisfying day for me includes some kind of exercise, getting on the bicycle or just running, mm -hmm. and some kind of new thing, some kind of, whether, whether it's what I'm reading or a movie or um, some gathering that I'm learning something new, and then some practice with the instrument, and uh, I'm doing voice lessons now. I got a, another voice teacher that mm. gives me a whole new set of things to think about and so um, and of course you know I'm never able to spend the time that each thing deserves I can't be as good a partner as I want I can't be as good a parent as I want I can't be a good a guitar player as I want um, but I have to balance all these demands and somehow make my peace with the fact that I'm not as good at anything as I want to be, as I could be. And yet, what is the thing that I'm doing? Uh, it's not just being good at these individual things. What I'm making here is this complementary balance of a lot of things that you have to keep them all in motion and keep them all um, alive in your life. And so... To me, the satisfying day is the day that includes a lot of each thing and, and still has the, the rest side in balance. I'm still getting to sleep when I should sleep and getting up when I should get up. And uh, I still have time to feel like I have energy for creativity. So it's really uh, the whole balance that, uh, oh, God... <laughs> Balance, Daniel Sun. <laughs> <laughs> the the thing that makes that for me more than <clears throat> you know some some meaningless Zen saying is having watched both of you perform, having watched both of you mm -hmm. in your element, seeing you actually do it. Uh, the last time I've seen I've seen both of you on stage a number of times in different settings, but the last time I saw you, David. Um, was probably a year or two ago, and it wasn't at one of your shows. It was, um, and I'm going to get the names wrong because I was a guest of friends outside of Asheville. There's the Writers Camp and Commune, um, 30 minutes or so outside of Asheville, and there's a yearly gathering that Singing Alive is that the one? I don't know. Swan or Noah, maybe? Uh, oh. It's it's not a festival. It's no, more Swan like a family and family and friends. Yeah, probably that thing. Yeah. And there was a zip line, and there were a bunch of people there. Oh, that was Rockmont. That was uh, oh yeah. That was the 
the birthday party, the, yeah. the celebration for Lynn and yes. Steve. Yeah. Yes, and uh, I, I was there with family. Um, Jake Wolf, I don't know if you know uh, Jake, he's a bass player in the Asheville area, is connected to all those folks. And we were up there, and you were inside the lodge with what I guess was a thrown-together group of people just doing Motown covers, and you were playing bass. <laughs> with I'm more joy that. than I've than I've just about ever seen anybody play, like just kind of the irony of Dave playing bass. <laughs> am I am I right about that? Am I remembering this correctly? Well, I did the learn. Six string bass or something? I did learn an interesting factoid, and that is that uh, the Sly and the Family Stone song "Everyday People" mm-hmm. only has one note on the bass. <laughs> Is that true? Is it stayed all the way through? It's one note. It's It's already a talking head song. (laughs) Wow. I did not know that. But the thing was, the the joy of, you know, because you do your thing, and generally when you do your thing at your shows, it's a a focused thing with a particular energy. This was you as sideman, you know, for a whole other thing that was happening, and you you were just soaking it up. I was sitting on a folding chair over in the corner. Kids were dancing in the middle. Mm. And it was great, great joy and just openness to the experience, um, which spoke to me as much as, you mm. know, anything I've ever seen either of you do, just the ability to bring yourself with an innocence to that experience that didn't have to be about the thing that you've honed yourself to do for forever. Right. Some of my favorite musical experiences have been out of my element, yeah. like a drum circle. Right. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, it's good. All of it is good. I... I really appreciate you guys being willing to take the time and oh, share your fun. experiences and, and bring a little work. I know that we need to, to wrap up. So okay. thank you, Rich Hordinski, David Wilcox. Thank you both so much for, for uh, taking the time, but just bringing yourself fully to it. It's no been problem. great. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you. This episode of the Distiller Podcast was recorded live at The Brew House, 1047 East McMillan Street in Cincinnati, Ohio. Thanks again to Rich Hordinsky and David Wilcox for appearing on the show. Visit the episode page at thedistillerpodcast.com for links to both Rich and David's music and more information about Rich's monastery studio in Walnut Hills. Special thanks to Laura Davis, owner of The Brew House, for welcoming us in. Stop by The Brew House. See what we mean. It really is everything great about a neighborhood bar, and the fish and chips are fantastic. The Distiller is produced, recorded, and hosted by me, Brandon Dawson, with co-production and booking from Terry Heist. Mixing by Justin Golden. Our logo was designed by Scott Ryan. Download episodes, find links and info, including photos of the guests and locations, and get in touch with us at thedistillerpodcast.com. You can suggest people you think should be on The Distiller to talk about their search for meaningful work, or if you think there's somewhere interesting we should record the show or something interesting we should drink while doing it, it's all at thedistillerpodcast.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>